This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. Uh, I'm Adam Jones and I'm joined today by our Everton correspondent Phil Kirkbride and Paul Wheelock as we build up to the Brighton match at home this weekend. And We'll start with you Phil, you were at Marco Silva's press conference a little bit earlier today, we're recording on a Friday obviously, and uh, he mentioned a few interesting things in that press conference. Uh, Yerry Mina is fit and he's ready but he hinted that he might not get a start this weekend. Yeah, ready to play was the phrase that Marco used. Um, and yeah, you're right, he did hint. And understandably so, I, I would be in agreement with Marco that he's not looking to change his centre-half partnership. Um, Michael Keenan and Kurt Zuma have developed a bit of an understanding and largely have played well together. And obviously, the reason he was asked, of course, and, uh, and just for the listeners who, who, who may not know why he was asked specifically about, about this weekend, was that obviously Kurt Zuma is ineligible to face Chelsea uh, a week on Sunday. So the theory, understandably, being, is it time to give Mina some game time? <laughs> the big thing with Marco is he talks about focus and not looking past the next game. And that's infuriating <laughs> for people in our, in our <laughs> industry because you want to ask him a whole manner of things. But I think that's right, really. Brighton at home is, God, apologies for, for, for cliche corner, but it's must win in many respects, isn't it? Mm. You know, that's a game we should be winning. Brighton, we expect, will come here with limited ambition, sit back, try and hit us on the break or use a set piece. Brighton at home is a game Everton should be winning. So why would you tinker with that? Now, look, Mina, we hope, believe, will be a terrific centre-half for us. But as I said, Zuma and Keane have been playing very well. Let's worry about Chelsea. Um next next week and obviously you know there is that friendly on Tuesday with Gormeyer, uh where he may get some game time Marco hinted about that um, so yeah I think I think Marco's response and, and what we believe his team selection on Saturday is, is the right thing to do mm. Playing devil guard because a little bit Paul do you think maybe going into a game that's a, such a big game as one travelling to Stamford Bridge do you think putting Yerry Mina in cold really with no no Premier League experience on his back do you think that might be the best idea? It, it does come with a, an element of risk, doesn't it? But the, the question I'd probably ask is, does, does Zuma deserve to be dropped? You know, even though we all know he won't be able to play against his permanent club, Chelsea. But I, I, the answer to that, one, from my personal point of view, would be no. I think him and Keane have played absolutely fine together since they've been paired together in the uh, in the middle of the defence. And yeah, of course, it is that risk of him going into such a tough away game for his, for his Everton debut. But... He's come with big money, hasn't he? He's come with a big reputation. He's played in big games. You've seen it at the World Cup. He thrived there. He's, he made the move to Barcelona. So I'd still hope he would be able to cope being thrown into the Lions' den, so to speak. But no, I just think while it's working, don't, just don't break it. You know, you know, it's, Zuma and Keane have formed a good partnership and it's up to them to play well again on Saturday. And if Mina comes in the following weekend and does well, then Silva's got a bit of a headache, hasn't he? Yeah, you mentioned the Gormeyer game there, Phil. Do you think that could be the perfect opportunity to try and give him some minutes, you know, a home, a bit of a bit of a friendly? It's not going to be Premier League standards, uh, speed, power, is it? No, not not at all. We wouldn't expect. Um, in many ways, it, it was it was already prearranged, and obviously they were just w- working on a date in the past couple of couple of weeks and couple of months. It's actually ideally timed in many respects for, for, for Marco and for Everton because, you know, as well as as mean as, as several other players who will probably get a game. Um, but in terms of 
it's actually helping, uh, you know, it's providing a solution for Marco. As much as he's got a dilemma, potentially, does he play him against Brighton to help bring him up to speed? He doesn't. I don't think he has to make the decision because of this friendly. Yes, you're right. It won't be Premier League standard. It won't be Premier League pace. But in terms of getting into a match rhythm, at least it's going to be a competitive game, if you like. I know it's a friendly, but you know what I mean. Competitive in spirit. Um, so I, I think it's it's you know it's it's worked out well. Um, and I just I don't I don't see the sense in playing Mina from the start on Saturday. Yeah, bring him up, bring him off the bench maybe, but starting him I don't agree with. Mm. One little interesting point about this centre back debate that I that I've personally picked up on is that we we're not even mentioning trying to drop Michael Keane at this point, even after his his struggles last season. This season he's been absolutely brilliant. You know, even after four weeks out with injuries, come back in and. Hardly look like he's been out at all. Like, how impressed with uh, with him have you been? Massively, massively. I think I've said on podcasts before. I had the pleasure of watching him for Blackburn when he was on loan from Manchester United, and then obviously went to their great rivals Burnley. So we always had a bit of a vested interest in him. So. I knew personally how good a player he was. And at the start of last season, I thought he did okay, you know, in the Stoke game and a few of the bigger games like City away. But I think he was just a victim of circumstance a little bit, wasn't there? He was changing managers. It was a completely new team. And the things that have come out today about the injury he actually suffered behind the scene, it, it, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because he, he felt a bit like he was out of his depth. And I was a, I was a bit concerned that maybe he couldn't make up the step from a Blackburn, a Burnley then to, to an Everton. But... This season, yeah, you're right, Adam. He's been absolutely spot on. And to me now, he's, he's Everton's number one centre-back. I think Mina will probably become that in time, but he's the, he's the man with, for me with the, with the shirt at the moment. Think mm. he's better than Zuma? Yeah, I, I really okay. I really like him. I know, I know Adam, after the uh, the Palace game, like you gave him a six and there was stuff online and stuff like that. <laughs> but, you know, I, but you know what? Like after it, I, I looked at him and that debate and, you're probably right in the respect because he wasn't like outstanding, but he just did his job. And I think mm. there was times last season where he probably wasn't that, you know, he, he isn't flashy, is he? No. He's just mm. a good solid sense about what you certainly was at, at Burnley and Blackburn. And he, he just seems to be coming that again. I think, I think part of the reason, I think you're right in terms of circumstance and the injuries and, and, and momentum last season. But I think another thing was, it was the way Burnley played. Yeah. Their fullbacks tucked in really tight. There was a great deal of space between him and the left back or the right back. You know, you know Burnley and Dyche, you know, set up. You come to Everton and there's an expectancy that the fullbacks will attack. So you are going to be exposed more. So I think it was always going to take time for him to adapt and understand and get used to, you know, look, you're going to have to deal, uh, do a lot more one-on-one defending just purely in the way that a, a bigger club are expected to play, especially Goodison. So I think it's taken time, but I think he gave in the, in the interview with, with uh, our colleague Chris Beasley saying that he felt like it, it was a fresh start the first day of pre-season. And when I sat down with him in um, in Austria at the team hotel, he, he looked a different character from the season before. So, you know, that, that's coming to, uh, into fruition and, um, you know, great to see because, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't, it wasn't an insignificant amount of money we paid for him. You know, no, he's, no. he's obviously, he was the most expensive defender in the club's history. Obviously now been uh, overtaken by, by Mina, but, you know, we invested heavily and, and finally starting to see why we were paid the money. I think personally, what's impressed me most about him is not even his defense, how, how much his defensive ability has improved over the last few weeks. It's how well he's bringing the ball out. You know, even his, you know, he's putting raking 50 yard balls out to the wingers. You know, he's confident in bringing the ball out with him. And I'm just wondering whether that partnership with Zuma has maybe given him that sort of confidence because he can see, well, 
Zuma is just better at that mm. than him in, in general. Maybe he's seeing Zuma doing that and he's thinking, well, you know, I, I can come out and do that. I also think there's an element of when it didn't start well last season, there was so much expectancy and pressure built very quickly. And especially at home, you know, that, that sense of... Um, atmosphere but n- not negative but nervousness around goodness. you know mm-hmm. we know what it's like and it's difficult and I think there was you know Koeman's reign was crumbling around the players and I think the, the the confidence to bring the ball out which is why partly why Michael was signed to be that ball playing centre half understandably he was increasingly reluctant because a wayward pass here you know somebody intercepting a pass there and it's just things just turn don't they and, and he's probably thinking safety first and that was what Sam Allardyce yeah. He, he he pulled Michael Keane to one side. I don't know if you remember the the, the quotes. He um he he told Michael Keane to simplify, like in the Cube the TV <laughs> program, as in why why take a throw in, why receive the ball from a throw in, ten yards further up the pitch when you can drop back and give yourself the time and launch it. Basically, I mean, yeah. you know, it was basic routine route one that we don't want to see, but. Yeah that probably is indicative of where Michael was at in terms of mindset and, and, and confidence about yeah. bringing the ball out from defence. Mm-hmm. And sticking with the defence for a minute, there was a couple of injury notes from Marco Silva's press conference. John Joe Kenny and Phil Jagielka have picked up little knocks and they're not going to be available for the weekend. So Silva said they'll be back in training at the start of next week. Paul, do you think it's indicative of how much better our squad is this season that we're not really even going to notice that they're not in the squad? No, this weekend. No, he's been such a cornerstone of Everton life for so many years, hasn't he, Phil Jagielka? And it's almost like he's been pushed out of the picture a bit. And I don't say that in a malicious way at all, because whatever happens with Jag, speaking as an Evertonian, I, I think he's been a fantastic servant for the club. And I hope when he does go, he, and he will get that good send off he deserves. But yeah, looking at it kind of uh, you know ruthlessly, you do wonder where he's going to get game time now, don't you? Because You've got Meany, you've got Keane, you've got Zoom, and then there's also Holgate who's, mm. who started the season. And I know he had a bit of a rough time to start the season, but he's a good young prospect as well. So it's almost gone from one extreme of last season where really struggling for form centre-backs to, to the opposite now. So, yeah, and Kenny's probably been a bit unlucky because I thought he did OK. But don't get me wrong, I think Coleman's the first-choice first right-back, hands down. But, you know, again, you know, yeah, but he is. He, he, he'll be pushing Coleman all the way. Well, Paul says Coleman's first choice hands down. He's picked up a little bit of flack after his performance against Manchester United last weekend, Phil. Uh, do you think Kenny's in with a shout at all of pushing him for that place? I think John Joe has done pretty much all that we could have expected of him. Uh, as a young young fullback, I think his performances this season um, are a sign of what he came through last season. You know, we spoke about Michael Keane there having to come through difficulty. John Joe had difficult spells. You know, in and out the team, thrown in, in you know, he had to go left back at Leon, you know, in that horrible game in the Europa League. I think last season served him very, very well, um, and I think he's played well this season. But you know, I don't think he would take offence, and I don't think anybody would really. Well, I, I say you don't think nobody should really dispute that Seamus Coleman is is the first choice right back. He's a, he's a full international, a long time international. He's proven in the Premier League. And yeah, he might be having a dip in form. I don't understand the criticism. Mm. I don't get it. He Yeah, every player goes through peaks and troughs. I think it's probably indicative of the fact that Seamus has been so consistent for a number of years that that, um, that a, a, a dip in form perhaps is, it seems, you know, has prompted and, and provoked a reaction because people perhaps aren't used to it. I just think he'll come back into form no problem because he's a very, very good player. Mm. 
the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Something that won't have helped Coleman's performance at Old Trafford was the performance of Theo Walcott as well, just in front of him. And he's picked up a bit of criticism as well this week and Marco Silva addressed it in today's press conference. And Paul, I was just wondering, well, Marco Silva obviously deflected any sort of criticism towards Walcott. He said, you know, the, that that sort of, you know, confidence of not not setting up goals, not scoring, that's something that's shared across all of Everton's forwards. Do you think, do you agree with that? Uh, I, I do think he's definitely suffered a dip in form. I think earlier on in the season, he, he got the goal against uh, and the opening day, didn't he, against Southampton and then scored at Bournemouth as well. Uh, the hoping and home game, I should say, against Southampton, then Bournemouth as well. But there were, there were times, even in the Palace game and certainly against United on Sunday, where it, if he's not involved in the build-up play and he's not offering a scoring threat, sometimes I do wonder exactly what he is doing. And, and, and that's not been a, too much of a criticism, but I, I'd like to see more from him. And to be honest, the two of the goals, there was still a long way to go after it happened, but he was at fault for, or he was partly at fault for the two goals that United scored. And, and probably what's putting pressure on him a bit is, is Luckman, you mm-hmm. know, because the last couple of games, he's looked really lively. I had, I had a few concerns about him at the back end of pre-season, Valencia and then earlier the season, whether he was still affected by the, the speculation or not getting the move to Germany. But he's looked, he looks like he's got the bit between his teeth at the moment. And, you know, at the end of the day, Theo Walcott is an excellent player and I, I think he's probably one of the better things that Sam Allardyce did at the club by bringing him in. But I don't think it'd be the end of the world if Luckman started on Saturday. Just to give him a little a gentle reminder that, you know, your place isn't guaranteed. Mm. Sorry, I was just going to say, thinking about how Brighton are going to play tomorrow um, and we expect they're going to sit deep. Um, and I, in, in my, my, my mind and my thinking is it's going to be a little bit like Huddersfield was mm. before that first international break. And, and going on what Marco said about for using his phrase there's two profiles of wingers at the football club there's Richarlison and Walcott who are quick direct strong if you like Mm. and then there's Bernard and there's Luckman who play between the lines and I just think there's a case with the fact that Theo may be struggling a little bit for for form and confidence but also given the type of game that we'll face at Goodison to start Luckman Mm. if you have Bernard and Luckman either side they're going to play between the lines for me Tomorrow could be more about guile and craft mm. rather than trying to bludgeon our way through because it's un- unless unless we can counter the counter attack or you know Brighton get a set piece and we can hit them on the counter attack, we're gonna have most of the ball. They're gonna be sat in front of us saying, "Come on, break us down." You struggled against Huddersfield. We might nick a goal from a set piece. We fancy our chances. So I think I think there's a strong case to start Luckman mm. uh, tomorrow. Well, another part of that debate now has to be around whether Richarlison should play up front. You know, he played very well there against Leicester. Uh, last couple of games against Palace and United, he's struggled a little bit, although against United he was the one who won the penalty, of course. Paul, do you, do you, do you think we should stick with Richarlison up front? You know, we've got Calvert-Lewin and Cenk Tosin on the, bun- on the bench. You must be pushing him quite hard for that role. Yeah, I, I would stick with him. All because what Phil said there, I thought that was a really interesting point. Because with Luckman, I I probably had the wrong impression of him. I when he came in, he scored that goal against City, and I thought he was going to be like a flying winger. But as certainly this season's progressed, he is. He's one of those players who will come deep and get involved in the build-up play. And Richarlison, I, I don't think he, I don't think he is a centre forward by trade. But maybe Silva's trying to play a different way. And and even looking back at the United game, all right, sometimes he may not held up the ball, but as you say, he won the penalty and he also created that chance with a 1-2 and then getting the ball back for, for Bernard, I think, didn't he? He played the through ball. So he is capable, but it's just 
does it uh, does it negate his, his skills on the left, you know, where we can get the ball and drive at players. But you've got to give him time. It's mm. only been three games, isn't it? And it's probably worked really well at Leicester, less so against Palace. And I thought it was mixed mixed bag against United. Yeah, there were the times where I thought, would he be better operating on the left? But if you look back at the highlights and watch the game again, he actually did what you'd want as a centre forward to do is to bring players into into the game and create chances. Mm. But it, yeah, it's just it, it's a nice it's a nicer nice position to be in for the manager. Does it? Sorry, does it ultimately, as you say, that uh, Wheelow about bringing players into the game <laughs> as sort of crude and as simple as it might sound? Does it? Does Marco's selection and decision not boil down to who can hold the ball up best mm. because that was one of the main issues I'm thinking top of my head the West Ham game mm. maybe even the Huddersfield game as well forgive me if I've got that wrong uh, Calvert-Lewin and Tosin between them just looked like they couldn't trap a, back, a bag of sand you know it was really it just was coming back and coming back and if and if we're going to have to be patient and build stuff tomorrow who's going to hold the ball up best who's going to keep Duffy at arm's length and then bring as you said bring the other lads in I think it's Richarlison. As much as he's he's great on the left, I think he's our best option uh, up front at the minute. What I can say, though, is that Cenk Tosin obviously scored a really good goal at home to Brighton last season. He's got, obviously, experience of playing against Duffy and Dunk, who are in very good form coming into this match. Do you think that plays a factor at all? Uh, yeah, p- possibly, possibly. But it's it's just what he what is Silva thinking long-term. You know, I, I I think he was forced into moving with Charleston up front. Well, I don't know, but I'm, I'm second-guessing there, obviously, but because of the form, of, as Phil was saying then, about Tosin and, and Calvert-Lewin. But if he has got such talented wide players and he's got to find a way of getting them in the side, and if this is what he wants to do long-term by playing with Charleston through the middle and being fluid and operating in a different position, I'd stick with it personally. And let's face it, it's not really doing Tosin or Calvert-Lewin any harm at the moment because when they're coming on, they're scoring goals, aren't they? <laughs> mm. yeah. you know, they've actually improved since they've been, uh, since they've been dropped. Mm. So, Silver obviously mentioned in his press conference today that it's a position that Richarlison has played before, but it's probably one that he's got to learn again. You know, he hasn't really played there for the last two seasons, Silver said. Do you think that maybe, playing devil's advocate again, do you think maybe that the Leicester game was just a bit of a surprise factor coming up against Maguire and Morgan? Maybe they didn't, they weren't prepared for Richarlison to play up front. And maybe it's a bit of an anomaly in a position that Richarlison does have to learn. And as Paul's saying, he does will eventually just need time to learn. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I think last season at Watford, um, Richarlison only played as the number nine twice. Um, once was only was for Marco, the other time was, Javi, was for Javi Grazia. So it was clearly something that Watford trialled, but didn't feel it was it was clicking or felt that they had better options with Deeney and Akaka, etc. Um, I feel while he's learning his trade as a number nine, away from home suits Richarlison better mm-hmm. because we're going to naturally, we're, we're going to counter-attack and use his pace to, and run the channels, you know, as he did brilliantly against Leicester and particularly gave Morgan a torrid time. But, you know, I think, you know, you're right, Duffy and Dunk uh, have, have really sort of established themselves in the Premier League and they're good, solid defenders. But I think if you're Richarlison, you shouldn't fear that and think, well... I'm going to be snuffed out. I think it's a good challenge for Richarlison. I think he should play there tomorrow. I think he should stick with it. Um, and yeah, yeah. Look, as you, as we say, it's it's relatively new to him at this level. He played extensively there, uh, certainly for F- uh, Fluminense. Um, he did it quite a lot, but obviously the Brazilian league is not comparable to the Premier League. So um, it will take time. And against the very best. It might be tough, and Marco might have to get you know get his thinking cap on. You know what's the best way of using Richarlison when we come up against Chelsea? You know a week on Sunday, perhaps, or or against you know against the meanest defenses. Um, but I think again, 
with all the respect in the world to Brighton, we're at home. I think Richarlison should have enough in his locker to cause enough problems. Not saying he's going to run them ragged, but be be that focal point for us to start and build and and, and, and go for three points. Mm. So Brighton coming to go to Sun Park this weekend, Paul. How similar do you think it's going to be to that Crystal Palace game? You know, Palace sat back and tried to hit us on the counter-attack a lot and it took a, a long while to eventually wear them down. It took three substitutions, obviously, to finally make the breakthrough. Do you think it might be a similar game against Brighton? They've come, in, they've come into this off the back of three 1-0 wins. Yeah, I think it'd be very, very similar. What I would say about Brighton, I don't think they've actually got the quality that Palace have. I think Palace... Got that guy, who's that guy on yeah, the pace for them? Yeah. Like Zahari, I, I thought Palace... I, every time I see Palace, I just think they're actually a decent yeah. side. And it's like what we talked about Keane before. Like, what really helped was against Palace, they didn't have a centre-forward as such. Zahar was there, but I think he needed someone alongside mm. him. or you know, And that's why the centre-backs, as well as they played that day, they didn't have someone up against them which is probably be different tomorrow because you've got Glenn Murray who's uh, really having a great end to his career isn't he really but yeah I think it is about patience and I come back to what Phil said earlier I think it's a really imp- interesting point playing Bernard and Luckman in there because I think it's going to be all about finding those little gaps because I'm pretty sure last last season they were excellent Duffy and Dunk mm. for, for the majority of the game weren't they, they like, blocking head everything yeah, they, they literally again another player seen at Blackburn Duffy and I remember like on whoscored.com it might be like a, uh, a website just for journalists but he <laughs> always had like ridiculous blocks and ridiculous headed clearances because that what he does he's just like he's almost like a magnet in the box so I think we're going to have to be clever tomorrow I think we're going to have to be patient it's, yeah and that's what I'm saying sorry to interrupt look you, you want you want us to get wide we want to whip you know be uh, you know attack-minded, you know, and, and be whipping crosses into the box. But I think it actually might boil down to being cute. Mm. Because as you say, Paul, Duffy, Dunk, head, block, kick everything because they just put their bodies on the line. They're that type of defender. They're like Keane in many ways. If you're a bit cute, try and get in behind them, make them turn because, you know, big units, big units of defenders. That's where they don't like it. With people with ball at the feet running at them, that's when they're uncomfortable. So, you know, you've got to... We've got to put them in uh, in an uncomfortable zone, if you like. Yeah. So this weekend, patience might be big a big factor again from the Everton fans, as it was against Crystal Palace. How important do you think the home support is going to be? Because obviously, even though com- we're coming into this game off the back of a defeat, there's still a, a much more positive attitude around the place at the minute. You know, it was a defeat against Man United, but it was a different kind of defeat than we usually have at Old Trafford. We went there and we absolutely tried to win the game. There's no question of that. So do you think the fans are... How important are the fans going to be? Yeah, I'm sure they will be important. But I thought against Palace, the atmosphere was excellent. Yeah, you know, I actually it thought it was a good game for a nil-nil. I said to my dad at the time, watching it, saying like, if it's nil-nil, it's, it feels like two drop points. But we've actually played quite well here and Palace are decent. But I think what... And I speak as a fan more than a journalist here. I think as the weeks go by from the stands and as you guys know you guys will know better than me I'm being on the inside but you're actually beginning to see Silver's style of play that it's not going to change you know we'll go to United and we'll go to Arsenal and play this way and we're going to play this way at home it's not going to be with 20 minutes to go against Palace he wasn't throwing balls into the box you know I know we got a goal from the header for, for Calvert-Lewin but as the weeks go by you can see that this is a guy with a style of play and that's really encouraging because you know what you're, you're going to come and turn up to every week just sorry, just on patience. Um, it, Marco did kind of um, get sort of relatively animated for, for what was a very sort of low-key press conference when he had answered a question about the home support being patient against Palace. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a follow-up question, um, the reporter had, in, in Marco's eyes had misinterpreted what he'd said previously and he made a point quite strongly about saying, no, I've not 
just told the Evertonians to be patient on Saturday. I'm saying they had been patient. So it's very, I thought it was very shrewd of Marco. He's, he, you know, he's switched on enough to go, look, I'm not, I'm not telling Everton fans mm. to react in any way. They do what they want. If they want to get agitated, then that's up to them. That's, it's up to us to, 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 you know, to get them excited and get their backing. He was just, he was appreciative of the fact that they did stay with the team against Palace, but he certainly wasn't going be patient you know <laughs> yeah I think, I think the interesting phrase for me and it's something that he mentioned in my one-on-one chat with him last week as well he, he said the fans played with the team in, in those closing stages of the match and obviously Paul you were, you were there again in that Crystal Palace game like it, it really did feel like that for the first time in well, ages, ages, ages yeah. I'd say probably since Martinez's kind of first two certainly the first season and parts of the second season it was just you know those late goals at Goodison and like going in at the Gladys Street end it was just the Tosin feeling particularly it was great it was a relief when Calvert-Lewin scored but just to score that second on the counter it was just it was fantastic it felt like a bit like Everton again I know people may laugh because it's only Palace at home at the end of the day but it just it, it felt a bit like a bit of a breakthrough mm-hmm. I don't think I think I've, I think I may have written this early this season certainly last when when you know, we did pick up a couple of wins towards the end of the season, it hasn't been a long time where you've been to Goodison and gone, that's a banker this, mm. we're going to win, 100%. I know we all go with hope and optimism, but that sense of real genuine belief and, you know, I'm confident. I think, uh, you know, Brighton are a decent team. Obviously, their points total isn't too far off. I think they're a point behind. Point where, behind, yeah. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, 14 points. Good yeah, yeah. I've got... Might be blind faith, maybe, but I've got <laughs> I've got more confidence in the way Marco set the team up. And the players, actually, this will be as close to a routine home win as it should be, you know, as as you can get in the Premier League. All right, then, Phil, score prediction: two nil, two nil. Paul, I go two one. I'm going to go for a three nil. Wow. I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm quite confident. I think yeah, I think Fulham, we'll have Fulham repeat. <laughs> I think we'll have a good day at Goodison tomorrow. Fingers crossed. Of course, Everton will have a good day and hopefully we'll see Everton back to winning ways and keep up to date with us on the Royal Blue podcast. We'll be with you with a post-match podcast tomorrow from me and Phil and from Marco Silva's post-match press conference. So make sure to keep up to date with everything on the Royal Blue podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.